0: Uh, I want to start out tonight by talking about outrageous asks. Do you ever have that family member come stay with you or that friend who is sort of not afraid to make the um, unreasonable ask or the outrageous ask? Uh, there was a, a request, a, a legal uh, filing for by Ohio State University this week that was turned down because they wanted to copyright, to patent the the Ohio State University, to which, thankfully, they were rejected. So they wanted to be the overly pretentious Ohio State University and act like they have a corner market on the word the. And it was ousted right away. Last week, I introduced a book speaking of outrageous requests, and I wanted to read you a couple more. This guy writes under a pseudonym by the name of Ted Nancy, and he has created sort of these... um, uh, outrageous requests that I find mildly entertaining uh, and and he writes that uh, in in this case uh, the Haynes underwear company he says dear underwear executives um, I have an avid I have been an avid underwear wearer for years except for a brief period in 88 when I tried jockey shorts I have examined my underpants for many years Always I wondered why nothing dramatic has happened in men's underpants wears for such a long time. That would not be anymore. That need not be anymore. Haynes, I am pleased to announce that I have invented the quote six-day underwear. It has three leg hole openings. Every other day you rotate and move over one leg hole opening. And at the end of three days, they've become completely reversible, and you begin again. Thus, your six-day underwear. A cleaning agent in the fabric launders the shorts, agitating when you move about, then dispenses the lint onto your legs. And When the briefs are washed, enzyme adhesives in the fabric attach themselves to just enough detergent to last another week. If there is any interest, I would appreciate meeting with one of the proper executives. I am creator of the Nana Crumble and the Taffa Bar. I look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Ted L. Nancy. Um, they actually gave him a very serious reply, talking about legal implications and their creative R&D team and so on. I, I just love that people respond to this. Now, one more. This is to uh, the chairman of the board at Kinko's Copies. Dear Mr. Orphelia, I think he just thinks it's a win when he can find out exactly who to write to. He says, as chairperson of the board of Kinko's copy centers, I thought I would approach you with this suggestion. I'm a Siamese twin. My name is Ted and my brother's name is Lyle. And we're connected at the shoulders. We do not face each other so we can bo- so, we can both- so we both can do the work to two different jobs at the same time. We would like to work in a Kinko's. This is the type of work both myself and Lyle can easily do. I can make a copy while he rings up a customer. I think a Siamese twin working at your Kinko's would be terrific for publicity. Copies by a twin. Maybe that could be your advertising. Talk about the ultimate copy. Anyway, what do you say? We are good workers and just want the chance to blend in. We are not looking for special favors, just the chance to show that we can be valuable employees. I thought I would write to you since you are certainly in a high enough position that you could hire us. Believe me, it's tough being a Siamese twin, but we try and get along the best we can. It's very hard to find employment. Most people gawk at us. Luckily, only one of us can see that. Is there any job openings for a qualified employee? Uh, in parentheses s. Uh, We are for real and very anxious to blend in. Respectfully, Ted L. Nancy. Well, let me just read you the reply. Thank you for a letter expressing your employment. I forward you to the correspondence to Mary Jane McCracken, Kinko's Human Resource Manager. Please contact her regarding opportunities at Kinko's. Thank you again. Here's his follow-up, and we'll be done, but it just warms my heart. Dear Ms. Ms. McCracken, I would like to thank Kinko's for having, such, uh, for having the chairperson of Kinko's address my special needs. I slash we would like to come in for an interview, except there's one problem now. My Siamese twin brother Lyle hurt his back playing basketball. He's all laid out. He won't be on his feet for another four years. So to come in myself while he's groggy on, medica- on medication won't make much sense, would it? He's an avid sportsman. Well, I like to play my trombone. Also, he may be going on vacation really appreciate the opportunity to work at Kinko's and I can sort incoming faxes while Lyle helps with a customer. Lyle can staple and collate while I s- stamp hands. We can really do two jobs for the same price as one and a half people. That's what we like to tell people. We're a lot of fun. We try and get have a good seat, keep a good sense of humor. We wear one shirt so while Lyle is better, uh, while Lyle is better, at, <laughs> so when Lyle is better, can we come in for an appointment? Um, when will be the best time? Please let me know a date in February after the twenty fourth. We could see you for an appointment. I want I want you to both to meet us. I want you to meet us both and see what good workers I/we uh, I slash we are. I thank you very much for reaching out to two people that can really get along uh, as two people. I, I'll bet you two regular people argue. I, I'll bet you two regular people argue more than us. Thank you very much. Um, There there was no reply to that one though. Outrageous requests, which segue is exactly what the apostle Paul is doing when he writes this letter to this slave, slave owner, church leader in Colossae by the name of Philemon. The book of Philemon is the shortest writing, but it packs a punch. It's 25 verses, but I love just peeling back the layers of what Paul is doing, and so he writes on behalf of this runaway slave Onesimus, who has found him in probably, most likely, the Ephesus, the jail in Ephesus, and through helping him has become a Christian, and now he's writing on his behalf to the former slave owner. And the reason it's such an outrageous claim is because no one at that time is thinking about reconciling the social divides or seeing the the kind of gap between this caste system of aristocracy, privilege, educated, and, and just subsistence living. There was this huge distinction, and no one was talking about if this was right or wrong, or the fact that God created everyone in God's own image. Therefore, God sees everyone as beautiful and loved and equal. So here's Paul writing to Philemon with this really countercultural message. I'm wanting to make this strong appeal. To not only take him back or to not kill him or imprison him, but to take him back as a brother. Wait, slave being my equal? That don't play here. And he's like, no, in Christ, it's actually what God would invite us into. So he is making a very audacious, outrageous request for the cause of Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Philippians, Philemon. There's some um, handouts, and maybe you wanna just take some notes because every week when I speak, I've done a fair amount of research. I've done a fair amount. In fact, for this series alone, I took an online course that was offered uh, by N.T. Wright. And one of the reasons why I like you to be note takers, because I want you to think about listening to a message that you might have to present. Passive learning only goes so far. Oh yeah, my pastor, he did a good message. Wow, he said some interesting things. I would like for you to come like you're preparing to learn so that you're being equipped to share this with someone else. And hopefully, God willing, providentially this week, something in this context will come out. So today I want to talk about the usefulness of faith. That's what this whole series is about. That's why we're calling it useful. Now, Um, the reason we call it useful is because it's the name of the slave Onesimus, of which Paul is writing and who has run away, that we get the word. It literally translates to useful. In fact, Paul even uses this as a play on words. And when he's writing to Philemon, he says, he was once useless to you, but now he has become useful, I believe, to us both. Can we just stop right there? There are parts of your spiritual journey that you would like to just maybe never have to revisit. There are parts of your story that you would never want to repeat. There are some parts of your story that you're still living with the regret over. No redos, right? And all I'm saying is what you would consider useless, God can always consider useful. God might not have intended for it, but God can redeem all things. So it's really important when we start reading about the utility and and question the value of faith is understand that God can use all parts of our story. And specifically tonight, I want to talk about what is needed for faith to actually grow is community. And that is we cannot somehow self-help our way into a transformational experience. We can't just learn and will our way into something spiritually that feels mature. It always comes through struggle, but it will always come in the context of community. That's why participation in church, or what we call this faith family, is, is so important. And I want to unpack a little bit of what that looks like. So let me just begin by starting off. Community is a buzzword. Uh, we all have this sense of community. And I want to talk a little bit about what community is and isn't. And simply say this. Community isn't simply familiarity. Community isn't being simply friendly. Community isn't that we have a history together. All of those things are a part of it but what we're talking about community is something that is known to be known and to be invested. So for us to be in community biblically speaking it means that we're invested in the welfare of each other's lives financially, emotionally, and with time, and even sacrificially. So, this is the picture of what Paul is painting for what community looks like. Uh, and so, the idea that we can somehow come into a faith family or a church and nothing be expected of us, no contribution, that we can kind of go and never be missed, is actually contrary to God's design. Um, we're simply not a part of what I would call true community. So I have friends that I was crawling on the nursery floor with. They are lifelong friends. I will never not be friends with them. But I wouldn't call them part of my community. I have a beautiful history with them, but they don't even live in the state. I haven't talked to him this month, you know what I'm saying? There's something beautiful about the picture of church that maintains a standing appointment and we go further together because of our highs and lows. That starts to have a picture of what biblical community is and the difference it begins to make. So community, I think, gets short-sighted and and over-promised. So we go, oh there's all these people in my neighborhood So we're familiar with them, but we're not current. Like, we don't actually know that their marriage is in the 11th hour. Or there's all these people in the soccer stands or the little league field that we kind of recognize and we're used to seeing and we show up at the same times, might even carpool. Can I just say, that's not the total picture of community that the church is called to be. It's nice to somehow see friendly faces. I like that. I like kind of being known. I like being called by name. But what I'm saying is... The faith community of what the church was designed was so much more, and that comes with this mutual investment. And look at how Paul starts to unpack it. This is verses one through three. Greetings from Paul. Listen to how he opens up this letter. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. Badge of honor. Yep, I'm in jail, and you want to ask me why? Preaching Christ. Wait, I, like, I literally have a friend who um, went to jail on three occasions uh, because of some court things. Um, He had learned, he'd be working security in um, a shopping center, and part of his coming to Christ was telling on himself, but he had become a safe cracker. So after hours, he would go into the back offices and crack safes, steal money, and when he had this conviction and wanted to come clean, um, there were some that weren't willing to be forgiving even though he was going to pay him back when he got to jail you know what he said everyone in there was like dealing drugs they caught busted for possession and they all looked up to him because like wow you're like a real thief okay so Paul like, like he actually had the skill you know what I'm saying like uh and um Paul is now in prison with probably murderers and there's people who probably couldn't pay their debt but here's Paul preaching Christ and listen to what he says and now he starts to paint the picture for what community is listen to how he speaks to Philemon and the things he affirms watch this uh he says uh I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and our sister, Aphia, who we suppose is his wife, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Stop right there. We have to paint a picture. What can we learn about Paul's vision for what the church was supposed to be? He started this baby, wound it up, got the leaders in place, and then left. And so now he's writing when they're in a tense situation where culture says, it's okay for you to imprison this guy. It's okay for you to even have this guy hung. But Paul's saying, wait, that's not the new community. That's not the church. Listen to what he said. He talks about co-worker. He talks about a fellow soldier. And he talks about meeting in your house. Those are three really, I think, um, formative words that we have to pick up on. Because what he's saying is, let me ask you, what faces come to mind when you talk about church? Whose back are you watching when it comes to faith and community? Who are you drawing a sword and going into battle with? Or is coming alongside and doing battle with you when you're in an possible situation. These are the beginnings of church. Whose living room comes to mind if the government changed the policy we can't gather for public worship? Whose living room do you start to imagine you would gather and break bread in? Okay, now we're starting to get a vision for what Paul was saying was the picture of church and when we describe church as this simply an event we attend and go away from and kind of evaluate the music or if the climate was right or if the pastor went long or all of a sudden we're we're evaluating these programs and these deliverables as if it's something to simply be consumed. Paul's saying who are your co-laborers? Who are your fellow soldiers and whose living room are you experiencing the body of Christ in? There was something way more interactive when it talked about biblically functioning community and Paul just sort of gives a nod to it by using these really great descriptors. Now, he goes on to say uh, this in verses 4 through 7. He starts with this thanksgiving and prayer. He says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. That's a significant statement because what is Paul known to say? There's no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no male or female. Uh, There is there is one in Christ. We are all part of God's image. And so he's celebrating this this sort of development, this, this sort of uncovering that maybe Philemon has already expressed. But now he's really pushing the envelope on it with this runaway slave. And then he says this, He says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. I need to just suggest to you this if faith feels hard, if it feels like what I'm asking feels too much, can I just suggest to you this? Faith will feel oftentimes un-American. You're like, what? We're founded on Christian principles. Our founding fathers were believers. Can I just say, yes, I believe there's some beauty in that. I believe there's some truth in that. But can I just say, some of the two two prevailing, seeming dominant things of our American culture is individualism and consumerism. And those two things are mildly related. Uh, And so this is what he's kind of contending, is that um, I would say, why is faith sometimes feel un-American? And it's, it's supposed to be personal. But it's not supposed to be nurtured individually. Think about that. I think each of us needs to have, each of your kids needs to have a personal knowing of Christ, a personal relationship with a Savior. But the way we nurture faith, do I want you to read your Bibles? Do I want you to have prayer time? Yes! But the way we're going to nurture it, and I'll explain this a little bit more, is always going to be nurtured corporately. And then the second thing is, it's, and it's not simply something to be consumed at our convenience or at our leisure. It requires an investment. An investment always is a priority. This is, this is what the church is supposed to be in our lives. Um, And so, I would simply say two things. Faith needs a community. One, not just to change, but to grow. Faith needs a community, not just to change, because change is assumed. Change is a given, but growth is not automatic. And you can be changed by the influence of a group, but you can also be ruined by the influence of a group. You understand what I mean? We have seen friends, we have maybe even seen in our own lives, when we got in with this group of friends, it changed a lot of things about us. We watched friends maybe as peers growing up and they got in with that crowd. Or whatever the case might be. We have seen the both beauty and, and, and the sort of curse of how groups can change a person um, positively and negatively. And so what I'm contending is, um, in, in this picture, is groups are so influential, and yet you can be so anonymous in a community that it never really takes hold. And what I think corporate faith is, being a part of a church family, can help us grow when we invest in each other's spiritual progress, when we invest in each other's children's spiritual development, when we invest... planning things for people who live within our neighborhood we are investing and this is what it means to be the church and that's why we've been so committed to the concept of a laboratory and a local expression not just a let's drive 20 to 30 minutes to gather in this building but let's have a multiplied expression of what it means to be the church because we want to be invested locally as light and love and hope And so the question I have is, who are you helping grow in Christ? And and again, this was the picture, the need for a tribe. Uh, and, and, And then the second thing I would say is faith needs a community not just to receive, but to give. So when we see Paul expects the church to be a transformational community, he paints a picture of biblical community and he uses the word partnership. The word partnership is the Greek word for koinonia. Has anyone ever heard the word koinonia? Most times it gets translated, it gets translated as fellowship, which feels really soft. It dulls all the edges because it sounds like, in fact, my church growing up had the koinonia room. It was like the fellowship hall. It was like the place where you went for a reception or you went to kind of have coffee, and punch, and um, some snacks, and that was koinonia. Actually, the word koinonia, of which Paul is using the word partnership in the gospel, has a much more specific, more of a business connotation, where you and I are shared investors in the prosperous outcome Of the entity okay that that's not a picture of how i see most churches looking most churches you can kind of enter in and exit out at your own convenience but if you and i were business partners wouldn't it look different wouldn't the expectation be different have you ever had a group maybe in school that someone wasn't carrying their weight have you ever been in a business working relationship going hey leaving me hanging like I need more. And so the picture of what it means to be a church is like a business part- partnership where we have this shared interest in prosperous results in how our kids develop, in how our city gets loved, in how our refugees get welcomed, in how our schools get supported, our teachers get encouraged, in how our foster families' needs are being cared for, simply because a tiny little church exists and say, we won't accept anything less. And if the needs are in front of us, I'm gonna call on my tribe to react because that's just what the church does. This is what the vision of the Paul and Mission Hills is supposed to be. Now, I would say, go on to say this, growth happens with community more than on your own. Why would I say that? Because growth should always make the people around you better. If we're really growing, I think other people are getting better. If you're an NBA fan, Some of my least favorite players are the ones who are the best scorers. They can throw up triple doubles on almost any given night, but they can't win championships. My favorite teams are the ones who distribute the ball and they share their egos, or they put their egos at the door and they're able to redistribute the ball and they don't need the ball in their hand to help the team win and win championships now we're talking about what it looks like to be a part of this community and so what i'm saying is growth happens with community more than it does on your own you can apply yourself to a stack of reading and create all of these spiritual disciplines but if you're not a part of a community working it out it just doesn't have the same traction why because who are you making better The natural outgrowth of faith is always going to be other people are blessed because of it. And so um, I I would simply say new life is not like winning the lottery. But it is like thousands of small investments that determine and shape our thoughts, our trusts, our desires. This is what a growing faith looks like. And so the imperceptible shift comes when one day we realize that we now find maybe as much joy in serving, in giving, in coming alongside and advocating on someone else's behalf. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting great worship and good preaching. That is not my point. I hope you'll keep coming back and bringing friends with you. But my point is, there is this fully manifested Christian life that we're called to express corporately. And so think about this. This was a thought that kind of, as I was kind of praying through it, it says, as a church, we together are the summation of Christ. Us together, and there's not too many of us tonight are the summation of Christ. When our gifts, our sacrifice, our investment, our contributions, our prayers are unified, we express the fullness of Christ as his body. And so we need everyone to sort of be all in, contributing in order to help the full expression of Christ. We, we need all the gifts in operation. Listen to what he says at the end, kind of in verse 17, he says, so if you consider me your partner, he's talking to Philemon, he's already made his sort of appeal to him, welcome him, being Onesimus, as you would welcome me. That sounds like equality. He's with me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything charge it to me I Paul am writing this with my own hand I will repay it and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul which is funny because you just mentioned it yes my brother please do this favor for the Lord's sake in other words don't do me any favors just because you like me or I led you to Christ do it because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and I'm speaking the truth right? So when I'm inviting you to give of your finances, when I'm inviting you to volunteer, to serve, to come alongside, to throw a party, what I'm saying is this is about you and God. I totally appreciate it, but if it's just a favor for Dave because, well, you like Dave, that won't produce the kind of spiritual growth that we're really looking for. And so there's this attunement that I need all of us to kind of seek with the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 17, he revisits this idea of partnership because he's talking about this oneness, this shared investment. Like, hey, Philemon, you and me, we're partners in this gospel together. And if this guy owes you anything, charge it to me. He's with me. Have you ever had someone stand up and say, he's with me. Some of you know uh, the guy who discipled me 25 years ago. I was just out of college, and Tim Elmore picked me out of a crowd, and and I started interning under him, and I was being discipled. We were meeting weekly. Uh, There was these kind of intense ministry assignments. I was leading community with the idea that he was investing in me, but we were going to multiply this leadership, and I remember getting called into his office, and he said, hey, close the door behind you, and he said, and you know, here I am like 23 or whatever, and sort of idealistic, and gung-ho for Jesus, and Uh, And he's like, hey, close the door. And he said, hey, here's what I heard you said. And here's what I said in your defense. Now, can you tell me if you made a liar out of me? (laughs) My point is, he had my back. He was willing to extend the benefit of the doubt. There had been some confusion and it was easily cleared up. But what I appreciated is someone standing up for me and saying, he's with me. That's, that's partnership in the gospel, right? That's, that's taking one. And, and so, um, I love this picture where a king who sums up his people all in himself, and we collectively get to express the fullness of Christ together. And so community just doesn't happen sort of haphazardly. It doesn't happen because, um, things are going well, and so I can show up. Uh, I hear a lot of times people are like, oh, our marriage isn't in a place, and everyone there is happy, or my family is in disarray, and so when we get our act together, we'll show up. I'm saying there is this thing that we need from all of us to kind of just be rowing in the same direction, in the same sort of syncopation. We need to be like the church, and um, and so there is this wonderful thing that says, I can't, Simply take from it. I have to give to it. Growth doesn't happen outside of the context of this community. And I love what Paul does with Philemon. Because he just he goes all in to say, if I've got any clout with you, hear me. This is how the gospel becomes something to testify. It becomes a witness to those around who are like, what the heck is happening with that Jesus community? They're forgiving slaves? What? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm and he makes the outrageous ask uh, b- because he's he's demonstrating this new worldview uh, that's happened in first century um, christianity let's pray together our father in heaven i'm aware that uh, we all come in with a, lump, a limp and we need your help i ask uh, holy spirit that you would guide us in how we participate in this community and that you would guide us to greater levels of trust to trust you to make ourselves maybe more vulnerable but to trust you uh, to walk in greater levels of faith I pray that we would trust you uh, with our influence and be able to um, reach more of your people uh, your creation living in the city that is just uh, in need of hope and in need of encouragement. And I pray that you would use our church and this faith family as we try and grow our kids up in Christ. I pray that you would just in, like, give them a sort of Holy Spirit deposit that they would have this recognition of you authoring the faith of their family and you doing a new work and becoming more and more real to them. So I pray that you would use us in, in mighty and encouraging ways. In Jesus' name, amen.